So we're picking this story up. Uh, we've, we've moved not very far, really, in eight weeks, if we think about it. Uh, eight weeks out of 43 are complete, and we finished Genesis, uh, the first book of the Bible. But we're going to accelerate things a little. As the story went, uh, there was a little bit of time that had passed in between all of Jacob's family moving into Egypt, into the Goshen region. There was more years of famine that they had to endure, but they grew old. They grew old. Roughly when they arrived, they were like 70 people, but now they had become numerous. We read in in the first chapter of Exodus, the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. After some time, generations were born. It it sounds like multiple generations, three generations. Family members had passed away. Pharaohs had changed. The new Pharaoh, he didn't remember, recognize, or know who Joseph was. Joseph, the, the, the one who had helped them plan for this plague that would have decimated their population. And he becomes fearful. He becomes fearful about what this group of people that's so numerous, what, what they could accomplish. Fearful that they would perhaps become enemies. And so he begins oppressing them. For years, Pharaoh even worked to control the birth rate of this population through the midwives to say, let the females live, but don't let any of the boys live. Throw them in a Nile. Do do something. Thankfully, the The Lord caused those midwives not to listen to Pharaoh and they continued to be fruitful and and multiply. They continued to grow. But the Israelite people, they continued to feel oppressed. They continued to be slaves to another. They began crying out to God. Crying out that God would would change something. That that God would cause them to not be in the situation that they are anymore. That the oppression would cease. That the slavery would cease. And God heard their cry. And God hears cries and he, He goes to work. And so He begins calling this guy named Moses. Interesting thing about Moses is that he grew up really as an Egyptian, even though he was an Israelite. He was put in the Nile, so to speak, not perhaps like Pharaoh had anticipated. 
He was set in a basket and, and became part of the royal family until he ran away. And as he's in the wilderness, he sees something so odd and so peculiar. A fire that's not consuming a bush. We've probably seen fires on the news if we watch it. Or in in headlines, fires out in California. And nowhere there have any stories said that the wood has not been consumed. Typically when, when fire comes, there's great damage. So this is odd. This is odd for Moses to see. Through that bush that is not being consumed, God calls Moses to be a leader, to to lead his people. And Moses wants to backpedal and says, I'm not quite equipped for what you want me to do. God typically doesn't do well with excuses. Uh, We perhaps have all made them at a certain point in time. I made an excuse about not going to seminary. Uh, And I ended up going to seminary ten years later with children. And it was probably more difficult than it would have been if I went in the first place. But God, he he continued to say, no, I think you're equipped. You know, if you really need somebody, take, take Aaron along with you. And so Moses and Aaron begin to go to Pharaoh. To say those words, let my people go. And Pharaoh does not listen. Even in scriptures, certain places it says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. The Nile turned like blood and... Pharaoh would not let them go. Frogs infested the ground. Flies and gnats came. Cattle diseases, skin problems, hail, insects, darkness, none of them. None of them caused Pharaoh to change his hardened heart to let God's people go out of the land. None of those things, those horrible things that they had experienced caused him to let them go. In fact, it actually caused him to oppress the people more by saying, well, you have to make bricks. Well, now you don't get any straw. You have to do more work. But there's one last plague. That changes the tune of the story. A plague upon the whole land of Egypt where firstborns would be taken. Firstborn people and also firstborn animals. Wide sweeping, perhaps, we would say. And perhaps this last plague is one that's the most memorable, partly because God wanted it to be. 
He wanted his people, the, the Israelites, to remember the Passover so they would, would celebrate it yearly. He would, he would want them to remember the day in which they went from what would have been death to life. He wanted them to remember the day that they were in slavery, but then they were given freedom. He wants them to remember how he saved his people. As we enter uh, part of the story, Exodus 12 through 20, uh, 21 through 28, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to, to try to look through it in, as the entirety of the story. We pray that you would continue to show us how you have always been gracious. Show us how you have always been loving and caring for your people, Lord. We pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. But even more so, open our hearts that we may respond by living for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll read from Exodus 12. That's really small. Sorry. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood, into the basin, and put some of the blood on top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood up on the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and for your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped, the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. We likely have different ways to remember. We use acrostics sometimes to remember things. We repeat things over and over. Perhaps our memories are even better when we have something else to aid that memory, like a picture. We, we look at that picture and we can remember and perhaps even be transported back, so to speak, to that day when that picture took place. Maybe you have one in your mind. 
one that just came to mind right now was was me graduating from seminary, a picture of me, and I got the black robe thing on, and the feelings that come back to that day knowing, hey, I'm going to Princeton, or hey, I don't have to do school anymore for a while. Whatever those memories are, they can bring back oftentimes feelings of joy or celebration. Sometimes there's those pictures, perhaps, that we see that bring back mourning and sadness and sorrow. Maybe mixed with a little bit of hope. Opportunities to remember are all over the place. And God didn't want the Israelites to forget. God didn't want the Israelites to forget of where they had been in slavery and oppression and where they were now with freedom. Freedom from oppression. Freedom from people lording over. A tangible way to remember Because he knows that if you practice something, if you do something, you happen to remember it a little bit more. That's why I think we always say practice makes perfect, right? If you want to be good at something, if you want to remember something, you have to repeat it over and over. Do those exercises over and over. Maybe take lessons over and over so you can remember what God does. He says, I want you to remember. So this is something you're going to be doing yearly. Not only just this one evening, but every year from thence on forth, he wanted to remember that the Israelites went from a place where they could have died. They they could have died, but instead they were delivered from that death and given life. Moving from death to life. Perfect lamb was needed. A life for a life. And so he instructs them to take a lamb. And and what they needed to do was they needed to kill the lamb and, and put blood of the lamb in in kind of a trough their past passage said this isn't like a trough that's above but it's likely the door had a little trough so that water wouldn't come in the house right and so they filled that trough with water and then they they took or with the blood sorry and they took that blood and they wiped it on all of the door frames The thing about the Passover is that every family had to experience death. The death of the firstborn or the death of the animal. Everybody that evening needed to face something difficult. And it was really judgment for everyone. The Lord said He was going to pass through all of the land of Egypt. 
Everybody was on the same playing field. They all were living in Egypt at this time. Didn't matter where they were, they were in the land that the Lord was going to come and take the firstborns. The same playing field, except there was something a little bit different. If you want to, uh, uh, yeah, there we go. He was going to come through indiscriminately, but there was something different because the Israelites needed to put their trust in the killing of this lamb. They needed to to trust that they did what Moses and Aaron suggested by slaying a lamb and and putting the blood in the trough and, and wiping it on the door frames and staying in their homes that they would not experience the death that the Egyptians would experience. They needed to put their hope in the sacrificial gift that God had given His people. The sacrificial provision that He had given His people. The trust in the Lamb that was given and slain in their place. Trust in a Lamb. The Israelites who would, would follow would have trust in that lamb to do everything that Moses and Aaron commanded. They they weren't they weren't any more worthy of this grace than the Egyptians if the Egyptians had done the same type of thing. They weren't worthy of a substitute to take their place, and yet God God gave them one. They gave them a way to be saved. That in the morning, Pharaoh's heart would be so moved and so devastated that he just said, get out of here. Go. And then the Israelites, they... They, they worked on packing up all of their things so, so quickly to, to leave this place of oppression, to, to go away from the place of slavery and instead go into this place where they were going to experience new life. Where they could have experienced death, instead they received God wanted them to remember. He didn't want to forget the day when He he rescued them, when He saved them, when He gave them new life, a a new way of living. And and so He instructed them later more fully of of how they're supposed to remember. And and one of the ways that they helped remember was was by getting rid of all the, the yeast or the leaven in their house right before they celebrated the Passover was another one of those ways where God said, I'm going to transport you back to where you were before when you had to leave so quickly and and bake some bread, but you didn't have time for it to rise and, and you needed that sustenance, but you just took it as quickly as you could. But on top of that, he he started. There started to be this practice where the the leaven was something that was associated with 
with sinful life and things that they were leaving behind. They were leaving behind all the ways of Egypt that they had lived in before coming to that new life with God, living in new ways. And so they left behind and they changed their lives and they changed their practices. They wanted to rid themselves of all those practices that God didn't want them to do, those ways that He didn't want him, them to live. Those ways where their focus was in the wrong spot. He wanted them to remember that they were a new people destined for a new life. And we see in this a parallel story in the New Testament, but spoken of again in the Old. Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 7. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. A slain lamb. An oppressed lamb, a a beaten lamb who takes the place as a provision of grace to all those who put their trust in Him. Just like the Israelites who, who put their trust in the lamb, the physical lamb that they slayed and put the blood to remember that we too are to remember the one who is slain in our place. Each and every day that that we come and worship and recognize, it's like we too are remembering and being taken back to a place that we had never actually been to. You think about it, this story of the Israelites, it says, who, when your children ask you what, And why you do this, you are to tell them. We are generations removed from that. And they continue to tell their children what it meant. So their children can be taken back to that place and time. And every time we worship, we are taken back to that place and that time where we remember that the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. The sacrificial lamb was slain for our sin. Paving the way from death to to life. Paving the way from, from being a slave to sin to have freedom in Christ. 
anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Just like the the Israelites left Egypt and left that old way of life and God brought them into a, a new way of life in the promised land, we too who believe in Christ are moved from that old way of thinking into a new way of thinking. God wants you to remember each and every week. And He gave us something to do to help us remember. A sacrament as well, an ordinance we could call it, where we ingest the the body and the blood, the cup and the juice, just as the Israelites would eat the meat of the lamb. Remembering each and every time. Being transported back. Causing ourselves then to to be more focused perhaps on that new life. To be strengthened for that new life. Causing us to change our behaviors and, and leave Egypt behind, so to speak. To leave those practices in the world that shouldn't be a part of our life and yet somehow they are. Because a a new life, a a life focused on Christ, will have patient hope instead of impatience. Impatience of seeking instant gratification, perhaps we could say. A life focused on Christ will, will choose to build one another up, to encourage one another, to lift each other up rather than tearing one another down a life focused on Christ will will have a life of of joy rather than a life of complaining always trying to find and always having the ability to find something negative to complain about doesn't matter if you had the best day in the world well there was that one time that the the, the you know, the cloud moved in the way of the sun. Or, you know, whatever. Whatever it is, is 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 annoying it can be. We are called not to a life of complaining, but to a life of joy in Christ. We leave behind the ways of the world. We leave behind the ways of Egypt. Instead of harboring grudges, we freely give grace. And the reason we freely give grace is because we ourselves have received it. Each and every day we live, one more day, one more act of grace of God giving us life on this world. Life on this world, not just for the joy of itself, perhaps, but life too, that we can we can share that grace to others. To give mercy and compassion when perhaps maybe it's not even warranted. We leave behind those ways of Egypt, those ways of the world, and we move to a new life 
in Christ. A life that is focused on peace and not violence. A life that is focused on self-giving love rather than selfishness and a me-first attitude. And we can perhaps recognize all of those those new ways and, and what maybe we would hope that we would be living like. And we can recognize all of those old ways, perhaps how prevalent that we see them in our world and perhaps even in our own lives. If I think about my life, I wonder what would be the areas where I need to, to, to do a shift from, from the old ways to the, to the new ways. I think it's really easy for me to complain, to consider how oh, I would love things to be easier, I'd like this to be that way, this to be this way, and so on, rather than having a life filled with joy, joy at, at where we are, what's happening. It's really easy for me to complain, wishing that we could all meet together here in person not recognizing the joy that I've had of of calling people on the phone more often. Recognizing the the joy of some ladies who gather on Monday morning inviting me to come with them. It's really easy for us to remember and practice the old. God calls us to the new. Calls us to change our minds and attitude to, to leave behind those practices of Egypt. That we may fully experience life to the full. The new life that Christ has for each and every one of us. So that when, when our children ask us, Our neighbors ask us, why is it that you go to church? Why is it that you remember something related to a cross? Why is it that you remember Jesus? We speak out of that new life, sharing that they too can have a new life filled with patient hope. They can have a a new life filled with joy. They can have a new life filled with grace and compassion. They can have a new life where they freely give of themselves to others, expecting nothing in return. What a beautiful life. What a beautiful life we are invited to. Just like the beautiful life the Israelites were invited to as they left Egypt behind and went to have a new life with God in the promised land. Let us pray. Lord, we we can lament we can lament that sometimes our lives don't look much different.
old habits seem to die pretty hard, Lord, and, and so we ask for your Spirit upon our lives. That, that your Spirit would come upon us and, and transform and renew our minds, that we may focus on Christ and the unity we have with all of the other believers and that we may be able to live accordingly a full life filled with joy and compassion and peace and grace, freely willing to give of ourself just as you gave of yourself. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.